Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. The Apostle Paul asked a question I think we should be ready to ask. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I mean, think about it. There's often a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we seem to actually believe when we live it out. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, which is our part of our journey together where we read through every word of God's revelation of himself Monday through Saturday, even when the guy behind the microphone is on the road and still fighting that cough and sore throat thing. And today we hear that question of Paul's in our New Testament segment, and I'm just pointing it out because I want you to not only hear how where it's situated in context, but because it's worth contemplating a bit, probably on your own. My friends, God can raise Jesus from the dead, but then we don't really expect him to answer prayer about revival in our city or healing from what ails us. But getting to our New Testament segment, we're continuing this long narrative that began five chapters ago with Paul's arrest in Jerusalem and are now wrapping up his witness in the area called Caesarea. The Romans aren't finding Paul guilty of anything worthy of the death penalty that the Jews have been asking for. And moreover, they're actually even curious about Paul and his message. Now, Paul has appealed to have his case taken before Caesar instead of being tried in Jerusalem. And Festus, who's befuddled that there really isn't a reason to take Paul to the Supreme Court when he's not charged with anything, has brought in Agrippa. Acts chapter 26. Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem, and they've known me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors, the promise of our twelve tribes the promise our twelve tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem. I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. 
I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests and King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic saying, Saul, Saul, why are, perse- why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I asked, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and what you will see. Of me, I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles, and I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first and to those in Jerusalem and all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day I have had help from God, and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah would suffer, and that, as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles." After he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him, for I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, Not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. The king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with him got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, This man is not doing anything to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. And my friends, that is Acts chapter 26. Well, there you go. Um, Hey, if you, my friends, ever have any doubt about what to say when bearing witness, just head for the cross, right? To an account of the resurrection and then give a clear call for repentance, right? From the very first chapter of Acts, in fact, Uh, we've seen that Luke continues to emphasize the Messiah who suffered, died, and rose from the dead. We're going to turn back 
a few pages earlier than Acts, however. We turn our attention to our new book in the Old Testament that we're beginning today, 1 Samuel. And I just want to remind you, in the book of Judges, right, in that whole period, the Israelites were doing what was right in their own eyes. And the nation was in desperate need of a king who would what? Who would provide spiritual guidance. More on that as this book unfolds. Today we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a man from Ramathaim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite, and he had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice at the, to the Lord of Armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. And year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. And Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, her husband Elkanah would ask, Why are you crying? Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give me a son, and I will serve I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you have made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. And then Hannah went on her way, and she ate, and no longer looked despondent. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah, and then Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, 
After the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Her husband, Elkanah, replied, Do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him and may the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh, and they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And then he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed. This prayer, my friends, is uh, like a song. And if you want some extra credit, go compare this to, uh, to Mary's song in Luke 2. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for full for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol and raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He sets them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered, he will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy served the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. Eli's sons were wicked men, and they did not respect the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. When anyone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged three meat fork while the meat was still boiling and plunge it into the container, kettle, cauldron, or cooking pot, and the priest would claim for himself whatever the meat fork brought up. This is the way they treated all the Israelites who came there to Shiloh. Even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast, because he won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If that person said to him, uh, The fat must be burned first, and then you can take whatever you want for yourself. The servant would reply, No, I insist that you hand it over right now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. 
So the servant's sin was very severe in the presence of the Lord because the men treated the Lord's offering with contempt. Samuel served in the Lord's presence. This mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod. Each year his maid, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman in the place of the one she has given to the Lord. And then they would go home. The Lord paid attention to Hannah's need. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing in all Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who were who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why are you doing these things? I have heard about your evil actions from all these people. No, my sons, the news I hear the Lord's people spreading is not good. If one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? That's kind of prophetic there, my friends. I will just say this, pausing a little interjection. I'm going to read that again. We don't have time to dig into it. But the answer, of course, is Jesus. But just catch this. If one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. By contrast, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. The man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Didn't I reveal myself to your forefathers' family when they were in Egypt and belonged to Pharaoh's palace? Out of all the tribes of Israel, I chose your house to be my priests, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your forefathers' family all the Israelite food offerings. Why then do all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require at the place of worship? You have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, this is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and your forefathers' family would walk before me forever, but now, this is the Lord's declaration, no longer. For those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disgraced. Look, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your forefathers' family so that none in your family will reach old age. You will see distress in the place of worship, in spite of all the good all that is good in Israel, and no one in your family will ever reach old age again. Any man from your family, I do not cut off from my altar. Let me try that again, friends. Any man from your family, I do not cut off from my altar will bring grief and sadness to you. All your descendants will die violently. This will be the sign that will come to you concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Both of them will die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest for myself. He will do whatever is in my heart and mind. I will establish a lasting dynasty for him, and he will walk before my anointed one for all time. Anyone who is left in your family will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver 
or a loaf of bread, he will say, Please appoint me to some priestly office so I can have a piece of bread to eat. And that wraps up First Samuel 1 and 2. We're going to close today with our wisdom segment being Psalm 120, a song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Lord, rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What will he give you, and what will he do to you, you deceitful tongue, a warrior's sharp arrows with burning charcoal? What misery that I have stayed in Meshech, that I have lived among the tents of Kedar, I have dwelt too long with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Lord, I pray that we would just believe and that you would help our unbelief. Lord, that that we not only believe that you raised Jesus from the dead and that he can forgive sins, but Lord, that the new life, the power of transformation will just be ours in new abundance, perhaps even beginning now for someone listening to this. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.